At The Net. And welcome, friends, to another episode of the At The Net podcast, powered by Texmex Productions. Working the soundboards in the back of the house are our producers, D-Mac and David Brain. Time to say hello to your hosts, Craig Bell and AJ Shabria, as they're about to take us through three sets of texts, talking life, and all the news as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Bell. All right, thanks to Rath and their podcast crew for that fabulous introduction, and happy sports and welcome fans of the great game. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 48 of Athenet Podcast with AJC, that's you, right? Yes, sir. You are other known as AJ Chapman. AKA, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then CD1 right here. That Craig would be Bell. you. We were talking the great game of tennis as it, it seems, seems to, to us. us. Thanks also go out to our good amigos, especially tonight. We're on, we're on Facebook Live also, too, only because of, that would be Dave the Brain DeLeo from back of the house, who's twisting the dials to make it sound like real people tonight. We and actually are, look like real people tonight. We are real. We're, we're here. Live. We're here. Thanks, we're Dave. We're back. That's Thanks, right. Brain. Appreciate that. Thank you. Also, be sure to check out our good work on Fireside, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. That's all the important communication sites that you kids find popular right that's right we're there we're everywhere and also if you're female sorry dudes we don't want no dudes we want we want girls plenty of dudes here plenty of dudes yeah, we got three dudes moment. here but we need yeah. girls to do the the introduction Margot carter's been doing our introduction for a little bit she sounds very british very very regal very royal we, we've enjoyed having her but we also could use some other yeah. intros as well so if you want to be an athenet uh, podcast girl and do the introduction let us know because we even like uh, foreign languages as well accent right? language yeah yeah we'd love it yep so tonight we've got uh, dr greg prudhomme on the line and we are going to have a great podcast Dr. Prudhomme has done just about everything there is to do in tennis. Yeah. I mean, everything. Literally started playing tennis. Uh, he's from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Grew up playing tennis. Uh, wanted to start teaching tennis at age 15, actually. You know, went on to the University of Arizona. Go Wildcats, right? Are you a Wildcat? I'm a Wildcat. You're a Wildcat. Or are you a Lope right now? He's both, right? He's right. a cat and a Lope. Right. I'm both. Okay. He captained the University of Arizona team. Uh-huh. Also, uh, he's won just about every award there is to win in the USPTA, USTA. <laughs> I mean, you've got uh, a trophy full of uh, Coach of the Year honors, uh, Player of the Year, just about everything you know around that area of the country. You, you've pretty much accomplished uh, you know WAC Coach of the Year, mm-hmm. uh, Southwest Region Coach of the Year, uh, USPTA Elite Certified. I mean, just just on and on. Uh, also, earned your uh, doctorate degree from GCU, where you coach right now. That was a that was a PhD in performance psych, which actually yeah. came up quite a bit in yeah. the past few uh, Wednesday night shows we've had. Right. Also earned a master. Also earned a master's degree, uh, a, B, uh, a BA from uh, uh, University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. So an educated person, uh, an athletic person. Do you do any arts? Or, or do you like? Do you play music or anything like that? You've got two of the three. You know, got uh, that's, academic- where I'm falling. that's where I'm falling a little short. <laughs> I doubt that. But we're glad to have you here on the show, uh, Greg. Uh, or if you, do you want us to call you Dr. Prudhomme? Or what, how do you like to be addressed? Oh, only my close friends have to. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Greg, Greg is perfect. Coach is perfect. Yeah, perfect right. coach. Thank you. I, I respond to anything. Right. That's well, great. Currently, the uh, coach at Grand Canyon University in the Glendale area, Scottsdale area, Phoenix area. Where, where exactly is is Grand Canyon? 
Tell our viewers. Jay Kings, right in the center of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. yep. right, right in the center of Phoenix, right there where. Yeah, uh, I actually I actually live in Glendale, but mm -hmm. GCU is right in Phoenix. They're about ten minutes out of downtown. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, right now, uh, is there, you know, in in the pandemic uh, world that we live in, Texas is a hot spot. I, I think Phoenix is kind of a hot spot as well, right? Mm. Is that correct? We just became one. Yeah, we're just we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Sorry. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that's this is a, a different time that we live in, and I think oh. that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, college tennis eventually. But uh, what kind of got you started in tennis? What, what, uh, what mom, dad, uh, brother, sister, you know, neighbor down the street? How'd you get started? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So my dad, um, he uh, he was a college football player. He played junior college tennis first. I'm sorry, junior college football at Hutchinson Junior College in Kansas. Yeah, old Hutch. Yep. Yeah, and in order to sweeten the deal for my dad, they threw in a tennis scholarship on top of the football scholarship. Gosh. <laughs> and then and then told him that oh, and by the way, you actually do have to play on the tennis team. <laughs> Oh, in addition to playing football, you do have to play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, that was the only way. You can get the money, but you have to play on the tennis team. So my dad actually fell in love with tennis um, at Hutchinson Junior College back in the day. He was born in 41, so, uh -huh. I mean, this this had to be around 60. And uh, went on to play in Kansas, played football at Kansas. And then uh, he uh, had a, a corporate career worked for Northrop and McDonnell Douglas and a bunch of companies like that and built a tennis court in the backyard. That was his goal. That was his dream. He liquidated. He sold a lot that he had. He um, sold some stock that he had and he finally built a tennis court. Mm. My mom had already had all three of us children. I have two brothers, one, one older, one younger. And she had not picked up a racket before that moment. He built the court. My mom was 30. He taught her how to play. And she became a uh, four five, almost five zero player. Not bad. Um, playing the rest of her life, still plays today. And that was how I got introduced to tennis. Waking up every morning to the sound of the ball being hit back and forth right outside of my wall. You you had a you had a court, and and she got good through dad, and then that's how you and your brothers got really good, huh? Exactly. Yeah. So so my dad taught taught us how to play and he just he literally just wanted us to have a sport for a lifetime period um so my, my mom being german i took a little detour though so uh -huh, yeah um he, the, the detour was soccer from my mom's german blood so i i jumped into soccer when i was four before the court was built and i was already playing that and actually was on a team that was unofficially number one in the world we played in six different countries around the world and my under 14 year we uh we won the tournament in the uk we took third in sweden we won in denmark and so we came home that summer unofficially the best team in the world they didn't really have rankings yeah. back in 1984 for soccer and i kind of grew apart from my teammates over those couple of years and um, then I knew what was next. So I, I just dove straight into tennis at 14 years old. Had, had you know been messing around with it on weekends with the folks, with my brothers, um, all that time. And so it was like a, a rebound off of a relationship from the soccer. Right. I still love soccer, still watch it. Still, you know, I went to a game in Germany last year with the family. It was kind of a bucket list for my dad. 
but uh, just never looked back, and it's been tennis ever since. Awesome, Greg. You grew up in the Arizona area. Did you grow up in? Uh, obviously, uh, we we said that you went to uh, Arizona, U, U of A. Did you did you live in Tucson or did you, did you grow up in Phoenix? No, no, I grew up in Phoenix. Grew okay. up in Phoenix. I went to the same kindergarten through eighth grade, then went to the high school down the road. Yeah, lived in the same house for eighteen years growing up, and then uh, yeah, and then I actually started. Don't tell anybody, but I actually started at ASU. Uh huh. Oh, made the big switch. The in-state switch, right. the taboo move. Yeah, uh-huh. the, sun, wow. the Sun Devils got a little too hot, maybe, and then you so you exactly moved, there you go moved down go. the street to the Wildcats. All right, yeah. All right. I've been to both uh, universities, both very yeah. nice universities. So yes, it would have been loved a tough both. choice. Yeah, uh, you, yeah, you, loved them. you loved them both. Yeah, you, you didn't you didn't venture up to Flagstaff and play for the Lumberjacks in Northern Arizona. I never made it up there. Played against them all the time and played a bunch of lumber, lumberjacks over the years for mm-hmm. sure, but I uh, didn't go. It, it was an option though. I, it was definitely on my list. Yeah, I, I'm just not a cold weather guy. Right. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I think that's one of the highest altitude campuses in the U.S. If I'm it, correct, it very well might be. Yeah. It, I, I think they're at least a mile high. Yeah. Yeah, they get seven, no, they seven thousand something like that. Yeah, up they have there. a ski resort right off yes. campus. It's an right. amazing place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a beautiful new uh, indoor tennis facility. What did they build? I a saw new it. One? Yeah, ah. yeah. Yes. But two yes, years ago, yeah, right? They, are. they have these scoreboards in every court and yeah. live streaming. It's really nice. No, Weber State, where I went to school, we're gonna have to up our game because they're a fellow Same big conference, sky. Right. Yes, fellow big sky go. competitor. We're gonna have to up our ante, up our game on yeah. on the Jacks. Uh, that's uh, we always had some great matches with those guys. Never played at NAU. They always came up and played us in Ogden. In but, Utah. Yeah, it, it, but it's, a, yeah. it's it, uh, Arizona. It's great. Uh, we always had a great time in Phoenix. Uh, remember the uh, Devil House? You probably were a little too young. To yeah, be, no, to be, that actually was there. Yeah. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah. I actually, yeah, I actually went there. That was in '89, mm-hmm. uh, '90. It was still there, still going strong. I was there in '82, '83. Yeah, venturing okay. around. So we were, nice. we, 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 uh, I, we'll unofficially talk off, off camera, off video. <laughs> about some of yeah. those uh, <laughs> forays over to the Devil House. That was just exactly. a, the fond memories exactly. of the Devil House. But uh, anyway, so so you played at U of A. Uh, then went actually on the tour for a little bit, right? Is that correct? You played. Yeah, uh, I had some points. Had mm-hmm. some points for a few years till about '97. Mm-hmm. Did you travel all over the world? Did, where'd you go? Where'd I, you go? My, the main tournaments were just in Portugal and in the U.S. Um, I, I played four four weeks in Portugal. I was supposed to go to Spain for four weeks after that, but uh, ended up with an injury, so I had to come home. And then all the rest of the stuff I played was you know played through Florida. Um, you know, Macon, Georgia, mm-hmm. Elkin, North Carolina, Virginia Beach, and that whole circuit there, and then all the stuff in California. This was uh, just after I played, so this was satellites, not yet futures, right? Correct. Yeah. Still satellites. Yeah, yeah, so it was the three weeks and the fourth master, and I guess that's segment one, two, three you must have played. Um, yes. Yeah, Florida. Yeah, I remember it well. You're yeah. just a few years younger than I am, so I don't think we crossed paths necessarily, but but uh, similar area. That's cool. It was called the Pin yes. Circuit. Pin Circuit when I was That's out there. Right. I, I don't know if it's the early eighties. Pin Circuit was at that time, but I just remember the Pin Circuit, and I realized uh, I did not go as far as you guys did. After mm-hmm. about seeing four tournaments and 
seen the talent out there, I realized that financial instability was not going to be a lot of fun. So <laughs> it, 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 I ventured off the... Craig, it was still right. not a lot of fun. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Greg, tell us, uh, yep. Portugal, yeah. you're probably good on clay. You liked it, huh? That was, yeah, it was the soccer that, uh -huh. that really helped, you know. Movement. I, I, I'm, I'm slight with my build and yep. size. Um, so, you know, after soccer, I wasn't going to go into the typical, you know, I wasn't going to be playing any football, basketball, or baseball. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, I had the cardio, had the footwork, had uh, had the, the foot-eye coordination. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that was my favorite surface. You know, everybody talks uh, about eye-hand coordination, but I love that you mentioned foot-eye coordination. So, so important in all sports and, you yes. know, sometimes under-explored. Uh, uh, yes. It, you know, going from soccer to tennis, yeah. when, when you have to track a, a soccer ball and get it to the end of your feet, which is near the ground, where you don't have a racket on the end of your arm, where you can reach above your head or out wide or down low. Yeah. When I when I put a racket in my hand and I was on a miniature soccer field, I felt like I could get to every ball and track every ball and read every ball. So I know why we struggle against uh, the Europeans and the South Americans. Yeah. It's no secret. Yeah. And now, at uh, so after after the tour, what did you do? Kind of after after uh, did, I know you also teach tennis at uh, yes. Paseo Racquet Club, right? You're also still currently the the head pro in Glendale at the Paseo yeah. Racquet Club, in yeah. addition to your duties at Grand Canyon, right? Exactly. So um, I started at the Paseo Racquet Center. It's the the public facility for Glendale, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And I was working for the previous lessee um, the summer between my junior and senior year when I came home from that summer from my last uh, year at U of A. Mm -hmm. sure. And uh, I was working for, his name is Tad Lindstrom, and I went in for to, to just say hi. It was June. School had just ended. And I said, hey, um, I just live 10 minutes away. I can't believe they built a, a brand-new tennis facility in the west side of Phoenix because all the tennis had been in the Scottsdale area up till then. And I uh, said, so I have, have experience teaching. I played Division One college tennis. Mm -hmm. But because Tad had, had just got in from Florida, he didn't know me from anybody. I was a high school state champion in Arizona. I played at ASU, played at U of A. So just about any other club other club I would have walked in, they, they would have known who I was. So he uh, said, no, sorry, I don't have anything. And I said, oh, okay, well, can I leave my name and number if anything comes up? And he's like, yeah, fine. So reluctantly slid a, a piece of paper and, and pen across the desk, and I left my name and number, and I was about to walk out the door, and he said, I do, I do need somebody to wash the courts. <laughs> so I turned around, and I said, okay. I'll do it. Like, like when? And he's like, well, geez, I haven't been washed since I've been here. It's been a year. And uh -huh. I said, all right. I just, you know, where's the water room? Where's the hose? I'll, I'll wash them. There was yeah. 11 courts at the time. So he, again, reluctantly didn't want to show me how to do it, but I told him I know how to do it. My dad made me do it. I had to wash the court in her backyard. And if there were lines on it, I had to do it over. <laughs> so he showed me where the stuff is. I start washing the courts. It's June. It's the middle of the day. He comes back about five hours later because they were closed in the middle of the day. That's a lot of clubs do that in Phoenix at this time of year. They, they're open early in the morning and they sure. open in the evening. So 
So he came back. I was down to my last court, and he was watching me. And I get finished. I roll up the hose. I put everything away, and I'm leaving. And he says, "Yeah, yeah, I could I could use help tomorrow at a clinic." So that that was. I've been there ever since. That, what, that was 1992. What an amazing start. That's close to 30 years ago. Yes. Yeah. So um, I go teach the next day. And then he's like, I need you tomorrow. I came to teach the next day. And then I pretty much never left the place. Um, he asked. He was number one in Phoenix in the 30s at mm -hmm. the time. So it was about a week later, and I, I thought I lost my job. He asked me to play a set. And it went pretty quick, uh -huh. and his racket ended up, I think, over the fence. You, you crushed him. You he just stormed, stormed into the pro shop. I'm like, oh no! I, I come into the pro shop, and the desk clerk's, what ha what happened to Tad? I'm like, well, why? He, he slammed the he slammed the the door shut, and I think he's throwing stuff around in there. I'm like, oh geez, I just <laughs> lost my job. So the door comes flying open, and Tad points at me and says, "We're going to lunch." <laughs> it's, it, it, so we go to lunch and he doesn't say a word the, the drive the half a block down the road uh -huh. and we order and he's just staring at me and so finally I'm like Tad what and he says why didn't you tell me to F off <laughs> I said what he said when I told you to wash courts why didn't you tell me to F off I've never seen anybody as good as you at tennis wash a tennis court so that uh, I was really touched. <laughs> the humility, right? That's like, great. That he, that he pointed that out, and I said, "Well, to tell you half off, I wasn't raised that way. Why yeah. would I do that? I wanted to work there. Yeah. Right. right, needed a job." <laughs> so you know, taught there for the Christmas camp when I came home, and then it was April, and this. So this was I was kind of torn. You know, I was all fired up. I have a good senior year. I'm ready to go play on the satellite tour. And he calls me up in April, and he says, I'm burnt out. I'm not doing a great job. You're made for this. Everybody loves you. Do you want to buy me out? Do you want to take over the lease? So I'm like, whoa. I hadn't even graduated. I was still a month from graduating. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so I, I finish up at U of A, and instead of going right away, I I go, and I we go to the city, and, and they approve that he signs the lease over. My dad was semi-retired. He did just get out of the corporate world, so I asked my dad if he wanted to join me, and and so that's that's how it started. That's how my whole tennis career started. It, that turned into my my college coaching jobs over 20 years, and I'm still there uh, refining my craft on the courts at, in Glendale. Was your dad six days a week? Was your dad still playing tennis even after Hutch? Did he uh, continue on playing tennis even though he was? kind of forced into playing for a scholarship did he exactly no he had a he had a long sabbatical um you know he went and played college and waited there uh he joined enlisted in the military he was one of eight siblings so whenever they you know graduated from college they got 50 bucks in the boot so <laughs> See ya. yeah <laughs> have a so good life the military and then he met my mom when he was over in germany in the military and then uh you know started working and that was just that tennis thing was just in the back of his head for all those years, and so he was about God. He was pushing forty when he built that court. Did, did he come work for you at, at Paseo at any time? Has he helped you out? 
Yeah, no, so the two of us went when we, when the, it was originally signed over to me, it was signed over to us, to my father and I, and uh, he's been there ever since, he's going to be 80 next year, and uh, yeah, my dad, my mom, my uh, my older brother, he left uh, real estate and came and joined us about a year in, and my younger brother, six years younger, he graduated from ASU, and uh, and uh, it was a special events management, so then he joined us, so we've been there ever since. A family affair. Family. Man, yeah, that is awesome. So you got yeah. everybody, is, is it sometimes too close, uh, the family too close, or do you all get along? I'm uh, just, just curious. I, I get along with my siblings really well. I have a brother and sister and talk to them. We, we, we've never argued ever, so I don't know. We, we do an amazing job, yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's challenges in, in any business, let alone a family business, but no, we don't either. My brothers and I, we don't. I, I, we just don't argue. You know, we may have, we may see things differently, but it just, but we just, we're not going to go there. You know, I mean, sometimes perhaps the, the, the business might suffer uh, to make sure there's no dysfunction in the family. Mm. So we, we, we'd rather keep the peace than... Right. Um, but but in general, it's been it's been a great club. It's one of the busiest in the state. We've got a strong summer camp, and we offer all the programs: uh, cardio tennis and drop-in tennis, and USTA leagues and St. Germans. That yeah, so uh, Greg, that kind of family vibe and the teamwork within the family, I'm sure that serves as a shining example to the uh, scores of kids you've had through your programs at GCU. How long have you been at GCU, and do you bring that family vibe and that teamwork ethic to the uh, to the Purple? 100%. Uh, great question. Um, my college coaching started at Glendale Community College. Uh-huh. Um, I was It was only a year into Paseo, and there was another USPTA pro teaching, coaching at Glendale, and um, similar to the to the guy wanting to turn the club over to me, mm-hmm. he, he came to me and he said, hey, he's like, I'm not doing a great job with this team. I'm kind of burnt out, and I think you'd be a natural. Do you want to take over this team? I said, oh, I'd love to. So I started coaching Glendale at the club. Mm-hmm. We were only 10 minutes away, so the I was able to arrange it to where we did our matches, uh, our home practices and matches at the club. So I did all the club business in the morning. Then the team would come to the club and we'd run practice. And then when practice was over, then our junior programs would start at the club. And I did that for nine years. Um, we we got up to top ten in the country. We went to we went to the nationals my third year for the first time, and then went every year. And then I started, we started having, my wife and I started having children, who's also a USPTA pro. Yeah, Mandy, right. She's a a tennis coach, yeah. USPTA as well. Great. And I took a two-year sabbatical um, because, as you may know, there's not much money in in coaching junior college tennis, but I just did it because I was passionate about it. And I love the diversity, uh, the diversification of being at the club, being an instructor, having this this part of my tennis career, and then the change with the college tennis. It's just mm. been, been great for me to, to get to do both. I get to live vicariously uh, with the competitiveness at the university and the college team, and then I, I still get to be at the grassroots level or teach senior citizens at the club. So it's, it's really been nice. So I took the two-year sabbatical, then the athletic director begged me to come back because 
the, the team was ready to walk out on the previous coach and they were going to boycott the regional championships. He said, I can't pay you anything, but could you please do it? <laughs> and I said, of course I will. So I, I then took the team, took both teams back, men and women, did it two more years. So I had nine years of junior college total. And I've tried so hard to give those jobs away to people. Um, over the years when that AD calls me and said, oh, we need a coach. And, you know, they're just, they're just not interested. They want to get paid. They, they want to coach four-year college tennis. Right. And, like, coaching Glendale, like, that's where I refined my craft. I mean, that was, that was my lab. I, my junior college players thought they were playing at ASU. They didn't, they didn't know they were at a junior college. We, we had to convince that they were playing big-time college tennis right. because of the way we ran the program. And, you know, my wife would facetiously say, gosh, you know, you why do you put so much time and effort into that because you don't get paid for it? And then she says, I know why you do it. That's who you are, and I wouldn't want you to do anything different. But still, why do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't have to power wash the courts for the job, did you? I, I didn't hear you say you know, the, the coach. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was watching him at the club still, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I made I little brother do that when he came to us. <laughs> smart, smart man. <laughs> yeah, you, see, you see the character of people. Actually, that's a very interesting observation by Tad to do that. I'm just, you know, yeah, it okay, whatever you, want, whatever you want me to do, sure, I, I'll, I'll do it. And that's... Uh, I, I just find that really fascinating because yeah. because you have that psychology degree now as a doctor with a doctorate, so I'm sure that that uh, you already were. Did you did you size him up at that point? I'm just kind of curious as as to roll, roll back is or were you just like sure okay whatever? No, I could tell he was standoffish. And, yeah. you know he was he was still kind of young, still a good player himself, and so I knew like the sky was the limit. I couldn't yeah. uh, you know I couldn't hold back on anything like. My, I, I had to take any chance I could get. So when he said that, I was like, there's my end. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to show hard work, perseverance, you know, kind of yeah. like as a young guy growing up, at, you know, starting playing tennis later at 14. Uh, that To where, you, where you've come come from at, at such a uh, late start in, in life, you know, for a yes. tennis player. Because we're wa- watching the uh, tennis behind us. You're, I see you're watching us. You know, we're watching that, that exhibition at and Atlanta looks like it's Query and Tom, Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul, right? Yeah, those guys started. Yeah. Most of the time to get get on TV, you got to start about two or three, four somewhere in that yeah. that neighborhood. Yeah, fourteen. That's a late late jump. Yeah, four, certainly four. six or seven. A lot of these guys yeah. do start, but fourteen is double that. Yeah, right. it, was, it was really late. I mean, that was that was one of my hangups. That I mean, I felt like Happy Gilmore. I, I would show up to tennis tournaments like I'm a soccer player, but I'm here to play tennis. I'm here, right. yeah. And and I would lose when when I, you know, I, I got to this threshold like, okay, I've been playing long enough. Yeah. So, like, there there can't be that. Like, there's a difference between five years and ten years. Okay, if I'm playing someone that's played ten years and I'm five years, there was a difference, but. And once I was getting to eight years and they were at 12 or 13 and I was at nine and 10 years and they were now, okay, I'm not going to use this as an excuse anymore. And it really helped when I had that discussion with myself to say, I'm, I'm no longer a, a former soccer player. I'm a tennis player. Right. And, and that really helped. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I imagine. So yeah, as far as, uh, just get, get in that mindset. I tell people it takes about five to seven years to learn how to play tennis. Mm-hmm. And people look at me kind of like, I go no. You can't rush it. I mean, you really don't. You can't rush the process. You got to know what the tools are on the belt, what tools you don't need, and then uh, then you start learning how to play. 
the, you know, the tactics and strategies of the tools that you, you want to keep on your belt because there's certain things that uh, I don't really enjoy doing. And, you know, I'm sure the same thing, you, you learned your craft uh, probably even more so even out of college than you did uh, in college more than likely. Yes. Yeah. No, then, it's like it's like watching grass grow. You're right. It does. It does take time. And yeah. I have clients that I've been teaching for, you know, 20 years since I've been at Paseo, and they have friends like, oh, I've got to leave. I've got my lesson tonight. Like, what? You're still taking lessons? You're haven't still- you been like you haven't learned how to play yet? You've been taking <laughs> lessons for 20 years. Yeah. And they're just you wouldn't understand. You but, wouldn't understand. Well, I tell everybody, it's my, my job not to get you better. It's, it's just to keep you coming back. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's the secret. Sorry, everybody. We yeah, really don't exactly. want to get better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm sure we, we all want that. That's just a joke. Trust me. That's not a It's definitely a joke. I've yeah. seen him teach. Uh, yeah. I myself am still a student at 51. Yeah. I have had two lessons this year in the COVID era. Like, I'm learning. I'm getting better. You haven't taken a lesson from me. What's the deal? I need to. You didn't ask me, Greg. I got to work my. You? I don't. You got to work my way up to the best over here. Awesome. Yeah. You, you probably have a waiting list, Craig. <laughs> That's right. It's part of it. But, but anyway, so back back to so you, you got through Glendale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so got, got through Glendale. Yep. Glendale was interesting. Um, I had my younger brother play for me at Glendale for oh, his cool. two years of junior college tennis. So. I had my brother on my team there. Uh, one year on the women's team, I had three mothers at once. Yeah. Literally, and they were playing one, two, and three on the lineup, so that was awesome. Wow. The, the eighteen-year-olds were four, five, and six, and the moms were one, two, and three. Hey, uh, this Greg, sorry to interrupt. This prepped you. Um, having your brother um, yeah. on your team must have prepped you uh, for having your daughters and son on your team. You want to tell us a little bit about that? There you go. So, yeah. So now, so we'll move. I just want to throw that in there. So now Thank we're going to move to Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, I had a year off. Yep. And fortunately, I had that year because we're, my wife and I are living in our dream home now. We have an acre and a quarter. We have, we just down to one horse now, but we had three horses. We yeah. have a tennis court. We have a pool. Incredible. And so in that one year, we were just working our body to the bone because everything that we have back there, we couldn't afford. We had to figure out how to sub it out, how to do it on our own. So now we're getting to, to reap the, the fruits of that hard labor. So then that next year, I got the call from, from Grand Canyon, and they said, oh, wow, we didn't realize that you weren't coaching at Glendale anymore. Um, we've unfortunately had a rough patch with coaches we've had five coaches in the last seven years mm. would you be interested so i went to the campus and it, this is what 2007 and it was just an absolute dump it was you know in a bad part of phoenix um it was old there was cracks in the sidewalk mm. leads going through the cracks and i'm just like oh my gosh i almost turned around and didn't even show up for the interview and, and almost just called and made up an excuse for why I couldn't do it. Um, but I, nevertheless, I, I parked and I went and I spoke and the, the athletic directors were just fantastic. Keith Baker was the athletic director and the assistant athletic director, Ruth Ann Gardner, she's in the Southwest Tennis Hall of Fame. Sure. So yeah. it's really rare to have an athletic director who's also a major tennis right. ambassador. Um, she was a, an official. She officiated professional matches. She was a strong player herself. She coached college 
So anyways, it, it was the people that attracted me to stay there. And then it was a year later that the university was bought by a new owner. And he has fast forward these 13 years that I've going into my 14th year coaching there. Um, the, the place just turned around. It went from a thousand kids on campus to 25,000. They sunk literally a billion dollars into the university. It was voted a top 10 campus in the U.S. by a college magazine because the place is like an, an, an oasis paradise in, in the middle of the desert here at Phoenix. And Greg, um, uh, for the folks at home, we should make it clear, Grand Canyon University is, I believe it's the only such institution that's privately owned. Is that right? Well, they did switch back to not-for-profit, but oh, they see. were for-profit, yes. Um, so it's a, it's a private Christian university, mm. and, and they were for-profit. And the reason they were for-profit, because when the, the new owner slash president bought it, um, this was right in the, the heart of the stock market crash, oh. and all of the you know donations that the, the, the university was surviving on for all of those years were drying up. Mm-hmm. So instead of asking for a handout, his idea was let's put a business plan, plan together and let's get investors instead. And it, it just, he knocked it out of the park. He got a ton of investors, they went public, and they never paid dividends out. They only, you know, the, the, the stockholders made a great profit on the, the, the increase in the price over the years. But then once all the infrastructure was put into place, they did pull the trigger and they went back um, to a typical um, not-for-profit institution. Interesting, yeah. yeah. I remember Grand Canyon. We used to come down and play yeah. a lot in in the Phoenix area back in the early 80s. And, yeah. yeah, they were probably NAIA back then. Yes, they were. And they were. it wasn't much of a, a campus. I, I would like no. love to come back and kind of see... I've looked at it uh, online, and it looks really nice. It, it, does, it doesn't look anything like when we played there in 82, 84 in that time frame. It, no, it's 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 insane. I mean, it's really hard to do it justice with words. Um, and, and, and I'm the second longest-running coach there. There's really only one other coach that's seen the entire transformation um, while they were there. So it's, it's it's something else, that's for sure. Yeah, you've so you gone from like NAI to Division One. I. I mean, and that's, yeah. that's a huge jump. Big, in, big deal. In, in a relatively yeah. short period of time, that's not an easy deal. Right. No, no, not at all. But they were, they were fully committed. They put the resources where they, where they needed to go. So I took this team over. Um, they were, it was just women's tennis. Yeah. Um, you know, I asked them for just a little bit more money. I, I said that, you know, I can't, I, I have my three children and I quit coaching college. Says, I love it, but I quit it so I could give, give my free time to my family. But if, if you could pay a little bit more, then I could give up a little bit more time at the club to, to make up for the time that I'd still have my family time. And, and one other thing, in addition to paying a little bit more, I want to add men's tennis. So in the second year, you have to add men's tennis or I'm going to quit. And I want to coach both. And maybe you can give me a little more money when you add men's tennis. Two teams, right. And and a a week later, and they answered, they said, done and done. We'll do it. So that's how we got men's tennis at GCU in my my second year there. Um, I know a lot of time has passed, but it was still... It was still nice to see a men's program added when the trend has been 
cutting men's programs, and especially now during the yeah. pandemic, it's quite sad. So, so um, speaking of the pandemic, are you okay right now with with the team? Are they still? Where where do you stand? Just just um, go down yeah. the rabbit hole real quick. Are they, no, this yeah. is going to be a very interesting fall. Uh, you know, it's my my athletes, all my internationals. They just can't they can't get flights. They can't get their visas, and the U.S. embassies are closed. Um, so. You know, I have a lot more Americans on my women's side, so, you know, we'll be okay there. Um, getting those players back, I signed uh, an, America from Pacific, uh, an American girl from Pacific Northwest, Taylor Anderson. She's coming to join us. I signed a, a nice five-star recruit last year, a local girl, Tasha Pugh, so she'll be there. My second daughter is still playing for us. Okay. But no, it's going to be a, a crapshoot getting, getting my guys on campus this fall, so... Um, you know, we might have to kind of cut our losses and, ju- and just hope they get here in January. They'll be able to do the school online, um, so they can still keep on track with their academics. Yeah, um, and they might just trickle in throughout the fall semester. So we'll see. Which countries are they coming from? Mostly Europe. Uh-huh. Um, I have a, a player from the UK. I have uh, Italians. I have French, German. Swedish and Austrian. Gotcha. So mostly Western yes. and Northern Europe, yeah. Yes, yes. Wow. Hey, I want to, uh, if we could, let's, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, at Glendale, you had three moms playing one, two, and yes. three, and then yes. younger freshmen and sophomores playing four, five, six. Um, how did that prep you for having a 61-year-old who still had eligibility when you got to GCU? Yes, that was classic. So that's, that's uh, what I was leading up to. Yeah, um, yeah. It's so, like it was a national so I take, story. I take the job. Yeah. Uh, the team was one in fourteen the year before I uh-huh. took over. Um, the team was in shambles. There was ineligibilities. There was just there was three people on the roster. Mm. One person had signed with the previous coach, so I had um, I had to pull rabbits out of the hat. Um, I got the job July thirty first. School was starting two weeks later. Wow. So, yeah, so I had literally four girls practicing in the uh-huh. fall. Um, I landed a, a good player that was going to join in January. And my most recent private lesson client at the club Come before on. I got the job was <laughs> 61-year-old Sheila Johnson. Crazy. She, she wanted to become number one in the country in her age group in singles and doubles and she wanted to spruce up her game so we were working on swinging volleys drop shots and hitting on the rise and when i got the job at grand canyon i something had to give so i i had to take all of my newest clients and put them back on the waiting list so sheila was one of them uh-huh. i said sheila i'm so sorry i took this college job <laughs> and um, I don't have time now for the regular privates. I'll try to get you back in. Yeah. And she came to Paseo when my parents were there. I wasn't there. And she said, I'm, I'm upset at your son. He doesn't have time for me anymore. But what he doesn't know is I still have one more year of eligibility. <laughs> and so I'm literally on a, a family trip at my parents' cabin. And my dad tells me this story, how upset Sheila was. And that she had a year of eligibility, and my dad didn't finish saying that sentence. And I ran out the front door of the cabin, pulled my phone out, yeah. and he's like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "I gotta call Sheila." Yeah. 
And so Sheila answers, and I'm like, hi, Sheila, this is Greg Prudhomme. I'm the coach at Grand Canyon University. I'd like to to offer you a scholarship to play for us. Yes. Yeah, and she's like, Greg, I know who you are. Oh man, that your 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 voice right there sounded like a Sheila. <laughs> that was Sheila. I'll never yeah. forget that. I'll never forget her saying that. So, so I got Sheila. Yeah. And so she not only I mean not only did she play at ASU in the seventies, she played three years at ASU. She she got her masters and and finished her entire career teaching high school math. Come on. She was retired, but because she didn't do her master's in full-time yeah it was all part-time work and she got in a fight with the asu coach before her senior year didn't play her senior year so she still had this year of eligibility and so gosh it was a scene right out of a movie that's so funny i told my girls okay we have a new team we have a new player so She's she's an ASU transfer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so technically, <Jesus>. that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and and then get this. She's top five in the country wow. in her age group. Yeah. Whoa! Really? Yeah. Oh, and oh, there she is right now. Yes. Where? Right there, walking Ooh. walking outside of the pro shop. Where? No, where, coach? Right there, yeah, right the sixty-one-year-old, and then just silence, just silence, like coach's office rocker. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I said, "Okay, I'll hit with Sheila. Let's spread out. We'll do some, you know, our little light ball warm up." Right. And nobody, nobody left. Nobody left the chairs and the bench right there. I went on the court with Sheila. Yeah. And it took him about thirty seconds to see her hit balls, they went and they're like. Whoa, wait a second. Yeah. He's good. Wow. She can play. <laughs> yeah. So that that story went to about 75 million households. We got called. We didn't get on it, but we got called by Ellen DeGeneres' producer, David Letterman's producer. Mm-hmm. We were on the Katie Couric show. Yeah. Um, we were on uh, CNN, ESPN, magazines radio shows every news station local news station it was just crazy and so the the end of the year we're playing um the independent college tournament in ojai and you have to have a player's badge Mm -hmm. and sheila forgot her player's badge and so we're going in and oh where's your badge oh i'm I'm a player i'm on the team they're like yeah right you're on the team and then someone behind the desk said hey you don't know who Sheila Johnson is? That's Sheila Johnson. Yeah. She's on the team. And they're like, we're sorry. <laughs> Come on <So> in. <laughs> we, we also signed a contract with Ashley Entertainment Incorporated, AEI, a movie producer, an 18-month contract. This gal met with us when we were playing Cal State LA in Los Angeles, and she said, if I can't sell this to, to, to Hollywood, I don't even want in this right. business. It's too good. And, and what happened was the writer's strike hit right when we had signed the contract. So movies that were in production stopped. They weren't doing anything new. Um, the 18 months expired with, with no nibbles. 
And so then they said, okay, write the book. You've got to write the book, and then we'll do the movie after the book. And I'm just like, like I have time to write the yeah. book. Okay. There's two college teams. Well, the next year, two college teams, head pro at the tennis club, have my family of five, my three kids. So sadly, I haven't got to that book yet, but it's still on my list because, I, I mean, we've seen we've seen movies like this before, and, then, sure. and they're just they're they're amazing. They're they're family friendly. Yeah. They're inspirational. They're they're just great human interest. So I I'd love to see Adam Sandler play me, play the coach, and just like every time, like first road trip, Sheila obviously she's got shotgun. Like one of the eighteen year old freshmen was like shotgun. I'm like no BS. You don't call shotgun. We got a sixty one year old on the team. Yeah. You know uh, th- these days the kids <laughs> vie for. Shotgun, but they also vie for aux cable. Like they want to DJ it. Oh, did, geez, totally. Did, totally. did, did yeah. Sheila? Did Sheila DJ? Sheila did not DJ, but man, she had a grocery sack full I... of goodies every single time. <laughs> I love it. It was awesome. So she pulls out. She pulls out this little blow up thing, uh-huh. like on the first trip, and yeah. she starts blowing it up. I'm like, what? What? What's that? <laughs> She's like, oh, it's my donut. It's for my sciatica. <laughs> I travel. I'm like, God, we're going to do great at the Smash Army. <laughs> she sits on a donut and probably awesome. makes probably makes good cookies for the team. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it was just really cool how, it, you know, the team just came together. Yeah. And she was just like the team mom, the, the team player. She had the best record on the team in singles and doubles. Really? That's what I was going to ask. What, was her, what, what did her year end up being? What, what was her? She played number oh, one she for had, you? She, she had a strong winning record in singles yeah. and doubles. And we went to the Nationals in my first year. Crazy. over the team. From one and fourteen, from from almost winless to going to the national. Yeah, and I bet yeah. you, I bet you. With, with, so she wasn't just a, 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 a an act. She wasn't a circus act. Right. She could play, and she made the team better. It was so. We, I'm sitting now at the next year opening meeting with all the coaches at Grand Canyon, and so the AD, you know, wisecrack. Who you got coming on your team this year, Prudhomme? <laughs> That's like, seventy-five well, year old. Since you ask, yeah, we got my it. wife and a forty-two-year-old. <laughs> They're that. like, you got to be kidding me. Nope. So then, my wife of our three children, who she was thirty-four, she had two years of eligibility left. I told her that whole summer. I'm like, honey, Sheila did it. Sheila did it. You can do it. Yeah, and you're way younger than Sheila. You're way younger than Sheila. So, you know, we had our, my first daughter, we had her 11 months into our marriage and Mandy was in college when we met. So she stopped going to school. She stopped playing on the college team. She played junior college tennis for two years. So it was perfect. She, she got her degree and she played two years and her, her parents, mom was a godsend. They lived 10 minutes away. I mean, they, they took the kids every single road trip. And there was a couple where we actually took them with. And, uh, yeah, so we just had a good old time traveling all spring long with <laughs> with one of the players, one of the star players staying in the coach's room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got preferential treatment. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's how my two years started um, at GCU. So I had, I've coached my, my uh, brother, I've, I coached, 
actually, I have my sister-in-law on the team at Grand Canyon as well. Um, I'm sorry, at Glendale Community College. Yeah. Then I have Sheila, who's 61. Then I have my wife. I had a, my wife's doubles partner was 42. Um, they're still great friends today. And then fast forward to year three, like now, who do you have Prude home? And I was like, sorry to to ruin the fun, but I actually only have college age players now. That's it. But fast forward to my oldest daughter. She started playing for me at Grand Canyon Division One. It was the first year we transitioned at 16 years old. She graduated um, from high school early. Wow, she, sharp kid. She, she she played her first pro ITFs at 14. She earned her first WTA point at 15. Graduated from high school at 16. Um, got her undergrad degree at 19 and her master's degree just the day before she turned 21. Incredible. Um, so she played for us. She started in January um, of that first year of Division One, And uh, so, yeah, so that was, so I went from a 61-year-old to a 16-year-old. Crazy. Just flipped yeah. the numbers. It's a palindrome, and you handled exactly. it somehow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which you like, too. my second daughter's playing for me. But, you know, this is, this was one of my reasons for pursuing my Ph.D., um, I mean, it, it's it's not all bad. It's not all bad, so I don't want to paint that picture. Sure. Um, as as you guys know, but but one one person is, is too many. When when a child's youth sports is is not only ruined, but dysfunction is created within the family, the relationship between the dad and the child, or the mom and the child, because they went about it the wrong way. Mm. Um, because they have a win at all cost mentality or an overemphasis on winning and they just they just get sucked into um, you know society adoring winners right and uh, you, you just see it I mean the kids are quitting tennis they're getting burnt out um, and, and that and that's minimal what's worse is when they've got you know they adopt psychological issues self-esteem issues they Start drinking or having drug dependencies because they did not have a, a great childhood being pushed into a sport. So I was very cognizant when I was a 23-year-old graduate and coach, now head pro at Paseo Racket Center, 24, married at 26, had a child on the way a year later. Mm. And so I didn't know how to do it. I just had a lot of examples of how not to do it and so from the first time I stepped on the court with my daughter Tatum let alone my other two children it was way more important to make sure that it was going to enhance her life that that tennis would enhance her life no matter what no matter how good she got or didn't get but I wanted our relationship to be stronger as a result. I wanted her life to be enhanced as a result and our family's life enhanced. So she took to the game at two years old. She never put the racket down. And I was, of course, accused of being the psycho dad coach. Of and I'm course. like, no, you, you don't understand. Like, uh. no. Like, I know it may look that way because she's excelling at a fast rate and at, at a very young age. But no, that's furthest thing from it we wouldn't sit on the side of the court um i mean when your daughter's playing tournaments at six and seven 
the, the other parents are absolutely perplexed because you know they literally have their chairs like on the edge of the court right there they're looking they're looking around like yeah. where are the parents of this six-year-old how could she not have a parent like not sitting on the bench on the side of the court right. and we, we always kept our distance we wanted her to become independent we we wanted her to have her own experiences out there so i picked her up and so here comes the sports psychology part and i didn't have my master's yet but i was a student of sports psychology ever mm-hmm. since i saw dr james lair speak in 1989 for the first time ever and i was just floored and by the information that was coming out of this guy's mouth so i picked my daughter up she's six years old to play this the little mo as you know yeah um and uh, we ended up playing in the top eight or the top 16 nationals in austin that year um but anyways i pick her up and it's her first tournament that she's ever going to play in her life and i can tell she's just petrified i'm like oh geez and i'm like are, are, are you are you nervous sweetie and I'm just like, why am I picking up a six-year-old early from school so she can go play a tournament? In May in Phoenix, it's already 105. And she just shakes her head no, but she's just silent, staring straight ahead. Focus. And, yeah, and, and I'm like, okay, you know, you, you sure you're not nervous? And just shakes her head no, not a, not a peep. And then five minutes down the road, she looks at me and says, but I'm scared. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, okay, all right. I'm like, that, well, that's what I meant, nervous, scared, same yeah, thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm like, I, I understand that, that you feel that way. I said, but you don't need to be. And she's looking at me like, look, like I got to hear this, like lay it on me. Like, how? why do I not need to be scared? And I said, all right, sweetie, two things. I said, you, why do you like playing tennis? Why do you play tennis? She said, oh, it's, it's fun. I'm like, right, it's it's a lot of fun, isn't it? And she says, yeah. I said, so, no matter what happens out there in the match today, you're playing good or playing bad. You're you're winning or you're losing. Like, it's, it's still tennis, right? Yeah, it's still fun, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, you'll have a good attitude no matter what, right? So, fun and attitude. That's the word I'm teaching you, sweet. Fun and attitude, same thing. You'll have a good attitude? Yeah, like no matter what. Yeah. Okay, that's one thing. And then another. I said, you'll never give up, right? No, like you'll you'll try your best? Like even if you're losing? Yeah. Even if you're not playing well? Yeah, you'll never give up. That's called effort, sweetie. So you'll give your best effort? Yeah. That's it. Honey, that's it. Just those two things. Yeah. Like, you can't lose. There's nothing to be afraid of. If you keep a good attitude and if you give your best effort, that's it. So she was like hanging on every word I told her. And I was just waiting for the right moment to, to be very deliberate and calculated with the words I chose as she entered the world of competitive tennis, of competitive youth sports. So we go to the tournament, and they play full two out of three sets. Right. She wins 7-5 in the third set after being down 3-5 in the second and 3-5 in the third. And then she wins the semis, and then on the next day, she's down 3-love in the finals, and she wins 12 straight games. 3-0. 3-0. So 
She wins three and zero, and she you know comes racing off the court. But in that first day though, she's like, it's so hot. She's like, Daddy, my 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 feet are burning. My feet are burning, and yeah. I'm like, that 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 happens. That's Daddy's feet burn sometimes too when he plays. Like, hang in there, sweetie. So anyway, she. I don't make it to the tournament desk to see her get the trophy because I'm getting stopped by other students of mine and other parents are like oh I saw your daughter won and she comes back with this trophy that's bigger than her right it's the tallest trophy in junior tennis the lows are insane yeah Yeah. and so she's like daddy daddy look what I got I'm like (laughs) wow that's pretty nice and she says and mommy said I get to pick the restaurant we eat at tonight and I'm like oh no she didn't. No, you don't. You don't over celebrate the wins. I didn't coach my wife. She just blew it. Oh man! And I'm like, wait a second. I can save this. I can save this. And I said, she's right, Tatum. You get to pick the restaurant. And do you know why you get to pick the restaurant? And I'm just waiting for her to say, yeah, because I got this big ass trophy. No. Or, yeah, because I won. And she says, yeah. Because I had a great attitude and effort. effort. And then, like, a tear's rolling down my eye. I'm like, yes! Man, she got yeah. she got your golden message. She got the she real got deal. It. She got it. And you know awesome. how many dinners I've had to pay? And I said, <laughs> and, and any time you have a good attitude and effort, will you get to pick the restaurant. And so that's how her tennis started. And we never strayed from that, even though... She's picking up a WTA point at $100,000, beating a girl who's 800 in the world in the qualies, Um, even though she played college tennis. She just landed the head pro job uh, during COVID um, at Desert Highlands. It's got grass and clay. It's up in North Scottsdale. It's just a a picturesque, uh, beautiful place. They've actually played Davis Cup on grass up there before. And uh, she just loves tennis. Till this day, and when we look back, it's it's just been great, fond memories of travel yeah. and family time and experiences. And it just saddens me that there's so many children that don't get that. Right. And so that's why I went on to pursue the higher education. I went through that torture of six years simply to have a credential hoping that I can be more effective delivering this information and that people might listen to me. I mean, you'd think because I'm balding and graying, they'd listen to me already, right. but I need a little more. <laughs> you need. Hey, um, speaking of the degree and the doctorate and uh, um, basically the gold that you just delivered uh, to us uh, through your story about Tatum, um, tell us a little bit about your dissertation in performance psychology and how that has affected your coaching and how close it was your dissertation to your real life experience with your three kids. Yes. Um, it was very close. Um, you know, those, those coach of the year awards, I, I think I've won, I've won 19 or 20. Uh-huh. Um, you, you guys mentioned those, you yeah. know, West coach of the year, WAC coach of the year, Arizona community college coach of the year. USPTA multiple times, national USPTA, the national ITA, Intercollegiate Tennis Association. And the reason I'm saying this is, I, I mean, the simple answer is I'm not a jerk. Mm-hmm, I yeah. try not to be a jerk. 
how do you win those awards? Just not being an asshole. Yep. Me. <laughs> That's like, good. Like, like, sadly, sadly, at, at Division One level, like, if you're not a jerk, like, sometimes that's a rarity because people mistake gamesmanship with competitiveness. Uh, they, they mistake winning ugly with, I'm just being competitive. I'm paid to win, and I feel the pressure I have to win. So, anyways, you know, the, these coaching awards are a reflection of my players. They're players' awards. They're players' awards because, I mean, I get comments like, oh, I can tell it's a Christian school because they're so well-behaved. I'm like, that's, that's got nothing to do with it. There's a lot of Christians that misbehave. Of course. Like, yeah. we teach this. Yeah. Or they say, does your team get good grades? Yeah, we're number one in the athletic department. Every year, my women have the highest GPA. And, uh, or most years, my men almost always have the highest GPA of men's sports. Oh, no wonder I can tell through the behavior. No, it's not because they get good grades. We work on it. And I have officials, they say it all the time because an official, when they're not getting berated by a coach or, or yelled at by players in Division One college tennis, they, they can't believe it. And so they make comments like, wow, you're relentlessly positive with your team and uh, they're very well behaved. And I really appreciate every comment that, that I get. Um, that they notice it and that they say it and it inspires me to keep going. So, so yes, my dissertation was looking for an association, a relationship between sportsmanship and performance. I originally was going to do mental toughness and performance, but my dissertation chair felt that that would be a little too complex for my first study, my first dissertation. So... Um, it, in the process of trying to simplify it and streamline it, then I came up with sportsmanship and and performance. And mm. the performance was simply uh, winning percentage. And the reason I went as simple and kind of dumbed down as that dissertation was, I went straight to the heart. The, the reason a coach, if you look at professional coaches, big D1 coaches of of the revenue sports and they get $500,000 bonuses for making bowl games and for making the March Madness and things like this like they don't really care about sportsmanship like they want to win they're paid to win if they don't win they're going to lose their job and Mm. I'm not saying they're bad people I'm saying that hey we've got cars and houses and I've got kids and, and we have this money spent already and I need to keep my job and they want me to win and so I'm thinking like Maybe the only way we can get the people who are in that part of society, elite sports, whose job it is to win, maybe we can pique their interest if there is a relationship between sportsmanship and winning. And the reason I went with that is because of all the connections between mental toughness and winning. It's one of the most agreed-upon characteristics of performance, of mm. high-level performance among top-level coaches and among elite performers. They they all agree that mental toughness is a quality. And so my question is, does, wouldn't you say that being able to keep your composure and, and keep your character under pressure, under in performance, is the same as mental toughness? 100%. Uh, the character angle... 
Uh, I mean, you're, you're not just talking about sports. All this transfers to success in life, and uh, uh, you're really speaking our language. I know I use the line that, man, like particularly uh, with a kid who's a little intense, and I'll use the expression, it is a competitive advantage to carry yourself with character and sportsmanship. And you, you suddenly erase so much uh, of that stifling guilt and stress. Wouldn't you agree? I love it. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I love it. So I saw so many of those similarities in, in mental toughness and, and sportsmanship. So there's a thing called bracketing mm-hmm. that athletes do when they compete. Bracket. And bracketing. Yeah. And, and business people do it in business where they bracket their sports world in brackets that it's not the real world right I, I really wouldn't behave this way off the court but it's socially acceptable yeah. on the court you know I'm not going to push an old lady over and steal her groceries in the supermarket yeah. but if there's a close line call yeah. I, I'm almost obligated um, in team sports it's, it's almost socially acceptable to commit the professional foul if you're the last man on defense. Right. Not only is it not uh, uh, anti-social behavior to commit the foul, but it's almost anti-social behavior and not acceptable to not commit the foul. God. Because, because people have Delusional. bracketed that, that all's fair in, in sport and that I'm really not that bad of a person. Um, we hear that saying in, in club men's tennis all the time. Yeah. Oh, he's a real nice guy off court. Right. Like, you don't want to be that guy. Oh, he's, oh, he's really nice off the court. Yeah. Well, until what? Until he's under pressure? Until his back's against the wall? Until something doesn't go his way? Are you sure? Yeah, you, can so, always tell, you, can, you can always tell a person's character by if the ball's in or out right around the line. You, know, you can tell them, like, you know, it's easy to make the call out, and you know, it's hard to call it against yourself. And that's the one thing that separates us from every other sport is we we have to do yes. that. and you can you can definitely tell people's character oh yeah big time and kids it's even very, at an early age revealing. yeah it's, I, a, it's a great saying i mean the sports do build character but at the same time they reveal, reveal. it and and they they only build character if it's deliberate it has to be part of the design of the parents and mm. the coaches it doesn't happen just automatically in fact i believe unfortunately the opposite happens in that uh perhaps um, negative character qualities would be the mm. default um, that is developed un- mm. until un- or unless that there's a deliberate plan that no we're this program this organization is about building character coach you you have clearly done that with your team with your family and with some of the people that you've mentored uh, I, I uh, I'm, I'm learning so much from you and thank you and uh, we were gonna maybe, go into dead period and admissions and college tennis and men, women. Um, but, you know, there's so much information out there. The world is in flux on that. Maybe we do that in part two, Greg Prudhomme. Yes. Yes. Maybe this fall when when you uh, feel more and some of your European boys make it back and all that. So let's yeah. let's table that. That's uh, We sometimes call that set number two. But I want to get right into some... Uh, you know, I know you mentioned bald and gray. I'm that way too. But just to use a euf- euphemism, um, let's let our hair down a little bit and go to the third set. 
and talk uh, uh, Craig Bell's pop culture questions. Sometimes we call this rapid fire, reflex volleys, fast hands. No need to get a huge shovel out and go go three out of five on this. Uh, no, no need to dig super deep. Let's just go kind of word association and quick answer. CB1, what you got for the third set, yeah. baby? All right. Uh, this will this will be revealing. This will be kind of this fun. Is fun. I'm Character. kind of interested to see what the doc has to say on some of yeah. these questions. All right, what's the first? Who's the first band you saw in concert? First band I saw in concert. Yeah. Oh man. We're, we're we're switching gears really. Yeah. We're slamming the brakes on, and then we're turning left. It's a hard left. You know, you know who it might have been. I think it was with my folks. I think I saw the Beach Boys. The Beach oh, Boys. Wow. Interesting. They're in Phoenix. I think, yeah, I think it was the Beach Boys. What venue do you recall? What the Devil House was it? It was not the Devil House. <laughs> it was not the Devil House. We were in San Diego. Okay, down in SoCal. Yeah. So, yeah. as a follow-up to that question, so if you could hear me, are you a concert? Are you music guy? Do you like to go to concerts? Yeah. I like, yeah. Okay. I, I don't. I haven't gone a ton in recent years, but yeah, I used to. So, if there's a if there's a band you could see in concert, who would that be? And and what city? Oh, what venues? You, you know who I saw that I really enjoyed, um, and it, it wasn't at the Sun Devil House, but it was at the Sun Devil Stadium. I saw Paul McCartney. That was ah, a blast. Yes. How long ago did you see Sir Paul? How long ago was that? That that was, geez, that was I think around ninety-ish. Okay, so yeah. he, he was on his wings tour. Had 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 the band now, with him. I, I don't know. I'd like to see. I don't know. Rod Stewart's kind of cool. I like how he kicks soccer balls out into the crowd. <laughs> yeah, right. I've never seen him. Yeah, Roger. Yeah, he'd, he'd be interesting. Yeah, you, so you're going, you're going old school, as opposed to you, you wouldn't like to see Britney Spears or Beyonce or anybody like I that. Would, yeah, I would actually. Do you know, do you know what my wife and I do? We're we're kind of we're like the old people there, but that's it's like our goal to stay fit and stay in shape. Of course, you're really, young. We go to pool parties. We've gone to Tiesto, Calvin Harris. Oh wow! Smokers. This yeah. is EDM, right? We're Electronic. In Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, Calvin Harris. That yeah, that's uh, we play a lot of Calvin Harris actually on our speakers out here. So I, I actually know who Calvin Harris is. Believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so we actually do that. That's what my wife and I do. That's like that's our reason to stay as fit as we can. So if we're gonna go to a pool party and put a swimsuit on right. around like twenty somethings, like we have to work our butt off. <laughs> that's funny. I can't imagine. Yeah. There, there's there's gold, Jerry. There's gold, gold right there. There's gold, just gold Jerry. right there. We found some gold right there that Greg Prudhomme, Doctor Prudhomme, is is a pool party guy. You've probably hung around with DJ Tiesto, some of those EDM artists, huh? There you go, yeah. Yeah. Out in the crowd. Yeah. I mean, I try to recruit and ask them if they know any good, you know, Dutch guys and stuff like that. Right. All right. This would be this would be an interesting question. Follow up also with this. So if you're in a band, let's say if you're in a band hypothetically, which which position would you be in the band? Would you be the lead singer? I'd be the lead singer because of my dance moves. Oh yes. Would you be like Mick? I don't sit still. Would Would you be a Mick Jagger type? Probably. Probably like the Mick Jagger type. Right. Yeah. Hang out with the leather. Would you go like 60s, 70s leather? You know, that kind of thing? No, yeah. I think Greg would go past the 80s when Mick Jagger turned into Mick Jogger. Ah, uh, Mick with Jogger. The, yeah, with the athletic, uh, with the spandex, right? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't think I would do like the MC Hammer thing and have the Doc Brown pants? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like those. Right. I like it. So, would you have the long hair? Would you be like Axl Rose? You know, kind of like. Would you want the long? I, I, I 
would. I had the long hair when Mandy met me, and so like I won the lottery with oh. my wife, so <laughs> I would have to do the long hair again. Nice, man. <laughs> All right, uh, what's your favorite movie, TV show? What do you like to watch? Gladiator. Gladiator. Great film. Gladiator. Yeah. It's my favorite movie. Is it? Is yeah. It? Yeah. That's a good one. Mel Gibson? I watch the parts. I, I watch the mental toughness parts, and I make my team watch it. When he's down in the in the bottom of the Coliseum, and once again he's ticked off uh, Caesar, and Caesar comes down there and just baits him and just says, you know, your wife screamed like a whore as she was raped again and again, and your son <laughs> screamed like a girl. And, wow. And, and he... And, and Russell Crowe, as Maximus says, the time for you to honor yourself will soon come to an end, sire, and turns his back. And it, it's just amazing just to see this self-control and this emotional control when, when this person is just trying so hard to bait you so his henchmen can put you out of your misery. So... I, I, I like movies that have messages like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good movie. I I said Strong. Mel Gibson, but it's Russell Crowe. Yeah, Crowe, Crowe. Crow. Yeah. But when you said when you said he's done some similar things like the the Patriots. Certainly, Braveheart. Yes. Braveheart would be in that yes. in yeah. that genre. Yeah. 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 Very similar. Yeah. Right Very similar. Good messaging. All right, uh, another question. Uh, now I know AJ. You can exclude AJ and I from this because we know we're <laughs> going to be invited anyway. So if, so if you could invite four people or more. Uh, to to a dinner, uh, maybe at a pool party in Vegas, at, with May, uh, maybe at your house <laughs> in Glendale, even. Yeah, who, who, are, who are some people that they could be anywhere from history, you know, uh, any time, any any place. So, who are some people that you would invite over to the Prudhomme House for dinner? Hmm, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I'd like to have Borg over for sure. Ah, yes, oh, um, that'd be good. Uh, you know, the 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 reason I'm so interested in Borg is like. You know, he was such a nice man on the court, and, you know, obviously he had a certain level of mental toughness on the court um, to keep that, that demeanor, but but it's, it's, it's so paradoxical because he retired so young that it's, it's as if he didn't have any mental toughness and that he, he couldn't stand the, this, the stress and the pressure and the rigors of, of the competing. And, and defending his titles and things like that. So it just seems like on one end of the spectrum he was so so mentally tough, and on the other end he he wasn't. Um, I, so I never thought about it. Would be interesting to pick his brain to see what he was going through off off the court and, and why he didn't he wasn't able to stay out there longer. You know, that, that's a, a brilliant answer, yeah. Um, I never thought about it. For and, and, you know, you're not going fully negative, but the other side of his mental toughness is the selling of the trophies, the rock yeah, star yeah. wife. Yeah, I mean, this he had uh, more than two or three dark, dark periods in his life after 1981. Yeah, so when I'm, when I'm teaching the mental toughness to my athletes, the reason I'm teaching it, the... the what I'm teaching my college athletes or my juniors, my children, is, is I, I want, you know, the, the skills, the mental skills to transcend the sport. The whole point, like, we're using tennis and the tennis court as a lab. Right. And, and you're getting to improve this craft of having emotional control, having mental toughness, having good behavior, um, seeing competition in a, in a healthy way. 
so you can take that with you into business and entrepreneurship, into relationships, into being a good spouse, into being uh, a good parent. So uh, there's so many athletes that just seem to be white-knuckling it when they compete, but they really might not know how they've actually done it, and so it doesn't transcend, and they're not mm. able to bring it into other areas of their life. So, you know, McEnroe, oh, you Mac. got to have those two at the yeah. same dinner, Morgan and Mac. They're synonymous. So, like, is, is it an act? Or isn't it? I mean, are you just really tortured and tormented, or did you did you switch over where you you were tormented and tortured, where you spoiled, and then you got to this point to where you think that's what people wanted to see, and so then you didn't think about it anymore, and you just justified it and like, oh, that's what they want, and then you just let it go, or like, where you know, give them a couch. That would be awesome to get him on the couch and just dive in and, and see and then and then right next to him let's get curious oh I love it oh, Nikki let's Kicks. get curious at the pool party I mean he'd probably be a blast yeah Nick would you like to go over there right I, I would like to just riff with coach Prudhomme on uh, on Gladiator I mean that, that's one of my favorite movies as well <laughs> uh, also hip hop like we coach and I could talk hip hop well, for, EDM for hours music, yeah. EDM yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have a great time. He's a woke dude, isn't he? <laughs> He's woke. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you, so, so you got three there. Anybody else that you would like to invite? Uh, maybe like uh, Rafa? Would Rafa, would you like to be there? Rafa is just too easy for me. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, uh, I'm Team Rafa. Well, Coach Prudhomme, I would love to come to your house. No, I will uh, help you. I like to, I like the heat. I embrace the extreme temperatures. No, I can grill with you. I can uh, uh, prep the vegetables. No, coach, I will help. I will come early. No, we got all that for you. We got all that. <laughs> very, very fun. No, it's gonna be great. I look forward to meet your whole That's family. Awesome. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thanks, buddy. Who else? So we got three. Anybody from history? Any? Uh, you know. Would you go back to uh, Sigmund Freud? You know Dr. Sigmund Freud? Yeah, yeah actually, I, I don't know. I, he, to me, he set psychology back like decades and decades. You know, just Seligman, Dr. Seligman at Stanford in the mm. 80s, he's the one that finally coined positive psychology. Yeah. You know, Freud was just like, hey, let's figure out why people are so messed up. And um, uh, so whenever you bring up psychology, you're like, oh, I'm not messed up. <laughs> right. It's a negative. You, know? you got to go to the shrink. Oh, right. Quit psychoanalyzing me. Right. Man. And, and then Seligman, and this is also kind of where sports psychology came from, it's like, hey, let's let's study performance. Let's study success. Yeah. Let's use psychology to see what makes people happy and joyful. So, um, yeah, so maybe not so much, Troy, or at least having the dinner to say, hey, maybe you can kind of get psychology off to a slightly different start. And then uh, people will uh, buy into it maybe sooner and quicker. It's amazing to me how uh, how Freud gets all this credit because um, you know what an awful relationship he must have had with his own mom. Oh, jeez! I mean, he like he was projecting. He's the father of projecting. <laughs> exactly. he, he himself exactly. was was a messed up individual. My goodness! But the most famous of the messed up. Right. The yeah, most famous. For sure. messed up. Anybody else that we'd have at this dinner party? I don't know. How about Muhammad Ali? Ooh, now that's a good one. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, he's still, I mean, he's not too historical, but I, I think he would be yeah. a great guy, especially right now. Oh, yeah. Um, would you want him? Just, like, what's that? I was going to say, would you want him in the Cassius Clay mode, or would you, what part of Ali later on in life? Because there's, there's some different different personalities yeah. that he experienced over over, over time. I, I think I'd want him later on in life so yeah. he could, you know, walk us through all of the different Ollies. Man, he would sit right between Nick and John. John and Nick would follow that guy around your house. <laughs> yeah. I bet. They, they, I bet. they were huge fans of his. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Ollie, but he, yeah. he'd be uh, awesome. I mean, Ollie at any, anything. I think any any point in life, even in the 60s, he yeah. was such a he was a charismatic person yeah even when he was young and clean like like really young looking yeah uh the i think it was the 60 olympics in rome when he won that yes then the world was like who who is that guy right yeah good god yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he was so well spoken and just charismatic like you said yeah he float like a butterfly yeah. sting like a bee I'm, I'm yeah. Ollie. Uh, <laughs> there you go yeah, yeah no he was yeah he was, so that's the party that's the pool party right there that's that, a great that's, gig man. that's that is an awesome uh, guest list and we're glad yeah. to be be invited as thank well. you thank you thanks. Yeah. 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 yeah yeah you have to welcome me in <laughs> welcome great, me man. With me. Yeah. No, no, just last follow-up oh yeah what are we serving at at the pool party yeah what kind of food are we grilling we have some barbecue uh, yeah yeah it's got a that's that, that's the secret to longevity there's not much on the menu we're gonna have a bunch of like pistachios and macadamia nuts uh-huh. and avocado and green stuff yeah, that's we might lose everybody. <laughs> so, no, I think it's they'd okay. be in. No, this is more Southwest style food. Yeah, and maybe and, some yeah. pico, some pico de gallo. Mexican food. I mean, I don't know how I how I don't eat Mexican food anymore. That was our staple. It was. That's our staple out here. I mean, yeah. we still sneak it in once in a while. But I'm sure. We, I turned fifty last two weeks ago. Congrats! So I'm, I'm, I'm close to thanks. So Made it. starting a few years back. Yeah. My wife's five years younger than me, uh-huh. so she's still a kid. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we just we just changed everything we were doing with our eating, and it's just been great. It's helped our immune system and our energy levels and all that good stuff. So, hey, so you're doing um, a lot of greens, nuts, good fats. Um, yeah. Any any fishes or meats or eggs or just uh, plants. Yeah. Yes, I try to stay limited on the eggs. Try try to stay limited on the fish. I mean, it's just it's hard. It's hard to not put toxins in your body. You right. know, I mean, you have to get the, the pasture stuff. You can't even get the cage free because it doesn't really mean what you think it means, and tree range doesn't mean what you think it means. It's just and and you know the fish. You can't eat it out of a farm because they're all eating corn. So then you're right. well just eat corn and. You're eating fattening agents, you're eating antibiotics, you're eating steroids, so just trying to just, I mean, it sounds complex, but just try not to put toxin in mm. the body. Mm. I haven't i haven't taken anything for three years. I haven't taken a Tylenol and aspirin and ibuprofen and antibiotics. I've just been able to ward everything off by just trying to go as clean as possible. Love it, man. With how we've been eating. Just, just like the great Jack LaLanne said, if it tastes good, spit it out. That's what Dr. Perdome <laughs> said. If it tastes go. good, just spit it out. Just don't yeah. don't even put it in your mouth. Oh, yeah. You know, on the other hand, there's yeah. some avocados. Oh. And pistach- he, he mentioned a couple okay. things okay. that right I'm like, yeah. oh, that's actually delicious. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're accepted. You too. Your taste buds, your taste <laughs> literally changes. I mean, awesome. asparagus and broccoli and cauliflower. I mean, yes. And, and you, get, you have to get really creative. You have to 
figure out how to make you know the cauliflower crust and things like that. Incredible. You, you, you hack it up and whip it with egg and some cheese, and you actually can make a crust. It's, it's not too shabby. Not too bad. East Coast, Incredible. West Coast, Coach. East Coast or West Coast? Or East Coast or oh, West geez. Coast? I only say West Coast because you know it's home away from home. We used to have a boat slipped in the water out there in San Diego, and oh, nice. kind of kind of in the market again. And, and and the only reason I don't say East Coast is I just haven't been out there that much. Yeah, that's, I, I being Arizona, that's California. You're not too Basically far away. Basically close to yeah. yeah, right there. Yeah, mountains or beach? Are you mountain guy or beach guy? I'm a beach guy. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that. Sunrise, sunset. Do you like the sunrise? Are you an early guy, or you like to see sunrise, the yeah. sunrise? Yeah, sunrise all the way. You get. I had to get that darn doctor done. Are you are you like getting up at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, kind of guy, or even early? Yeah, four forty-five. Four forty-five. Alarm set at four forty-five. Mm. And is that a workout? Do you get up with Lane Evans, our buddy Lane Evans from, yeah. from Oklahoma? He gets or, up. Or Kyle. Nice. Kyle, oh, yeah, the tennis tycoon. the other one, yeah. Yes, yes the tycoon gets up. No, one. you know what I do? It's like, it's, people just don't do it. It's just, I just chill. Oh, do you? I just, I just get, some, some days I work out. I mean, I work out, I run four or five days a week, and I work out four or five days a week. But the, the getting up early is to have time. It's to breathe. It's to you know be with nature mm. it's, it's outside every day without fail yeah and people just don't get enough alone time right so do, you, do you go out and like walk maybe or run at that time is that what you're saying you know or maybe just kind of clear your mind get to think kind of all, the all, day. all the above sure. sometimes just sitting yeah sometimes just sitting on the patio with the coffee sitting okay. in the hot tub yeah. just looking at the mountains looking at the trees we have nice desert mountains behind us so um real fortunate so yeah just just chill Favorite. get ready to take on the day and then i just feel like i recharged the battery good and, stuff uh, coach ready to go favorite season I, i'm gonna say probably not summer but fall winter <laughs> spring <laughs> yeah like the like fall i mean i love spring too but here in phoenix you just love fall because you know you've got you're gonna have seven eight amazing months ahead of you so oh, wow. yeah it's definitely as summer's breaking and you get that first cool morning like at the end of october <laughs> We're patient. Yeah. What, what's your favorite holiday? Favorite holiday? Christmas. I mean, I just just like, you know, the the twinkle in everybody's eyes, family and decorations yeah. and, and meals and people just kind of forgetting, forgetting their stress for 48, 72 hours. Yeah, that's fun. What do you like to do in your spare time? In my spare time, if you have spare I like time. to be active. I'm just just really active. I mean, I love working in the yard, cleaning the pool, feeding the horse, blowing the court. I mean, just <laughs> be, being with, you know, hanging out with my wife. We just we share a lot of interests. So just I, I don't sit or that, that morning time for just for therapy, for, um, you know, the, other than that, I don't sit still. Other than that, the rest of the time, I'm just going. Hmm. It doesn't sound like you get much downtime. That's it, right. He's an active... Don't, there's not a lot of downtime, yeah. yeah. Good for you, man. So now we're going to switch. We're almost rounding the corner uh, on uh, of the track to uh, hit the home stretch. We're going to go back to a couple of tennis questions. What's your most embarrassing moment in tennis? Do you recall a moment that uh, might have been... Uh, I, I know a couple of moments that I've had that have been embarrassing. Oh, do, do you have an embarrassing moment, an embarrassing story? 
you know, any, anything that happened maybe on the tour, or, you know, juniors, you know, college? Was there anything that that uh, uh, you might want to share or not? I mean, um, I, yeah, here's something kind of funny, and I mean, I, I had to take some of the blame. She was one of my mothers on that junior college team. Um, she was from Thailand. Uh-huh. She was she was I think 33, and she uh, we went through the whole fall season getting ready for January, getting ready for the spring season to start. So we have our fall-ending team bonding party at, at the house. And so, you know, the team's over, and, you know, we're hanging out. Everybody's having a good old time. And the girl from Thailand thinks it's the end of the season party. I start talking about season coming up uh-huh. and, and our first match in January and our travel and uniforms are going to be in soon and this and that and she literally had no idea what I was talking about <laughs> and her idea of what when I recruited her to play college tennis thought that she had just done it that it was all about just training and it was just practice and she wow, had no idea time <laughs> And I'm just baffled when she has no clue that this was all a build-up and this was all preseason training <laughs> to play a season in January. Right. And I'm just like, how could I have a, a college athlete not know that we have a season coming up? So <laughs> that, that right. was kind of funny. That yeah, was kind of funny. Yeah. One, one, it wasn't so embarrassing because um, I watched the video over and over and over and over, but... Like, I'm at the end of my... Was I at the end of my career or not? Well, <laughs> I'm playing the Jensen brothers in, in a challenger, first round of a challenger. They're seated number one, and they had already won the French. And it's at my club. We have a challenger at my club. And, like, we paid them an appearance fee, and they were on all the posters for the tournament. And we're trying to, you know, drum up business. And I'm playing with Sergeant Sergisian. Oh, I remember him, yeah. yeah. yeah Armenian, uh, he played, he at, played a- at ASU, ASU too. Yeah. After I played at ASU. Yeah. And so um, we we break him twice in the first set to win 6-3. We break each of them. And then we hold all the way to 6-all in the second set. And we get up 6-3 in the tiebreaker. So we have, what, three straight match points and I'm just like oh my gosh we're like I'm the club pro and and I'm gonna get a win over a grand slam champ and and, oh crap you know we these are the guys that we paid to show up I'm knocking them out first round so I'm so conflicted right and and they proceed to save three straight match points then we get up 7-6. They save a fourth match point. Then they're up like 9-8. Then we get up... Um, no, then they're up 8-7. Then we get up 9-8. We have a fifth match point. And we end up losing 11-9 in the breaker. Wow. And, um, you know, Sarge just his eyes glazed over and we're on the changeover. And he's just ready to check out. And, and like, Sarge, like... Do you realize, like, they were hanging on for dear life? Like, we, they haven't even broke us yet. We dominated two sets. Like, let's do it again. Come on, let's go. Third Come on, set, man. let's and go. He, he snaps out of it. And fast forward, I'm serving at 5-3, 30 love. So 
we outplayed him again in another set, and it was just insane. The, the top spin lobs they're hitting on their back foot, Sarge rips the ball down the middle, they like both go for it, clunk brackets, miss the ball, the ball goes out. I mean, it was incredible. So we ended up losing 7-5 in the third. What a match, so, man. Wow. It, it, it was an incredible match, and, and like that was a hard one to hard one to swallow so it wasn't embarrassing i look i watched the video again and again and i'm just like god i played okay and you know the match points they just they just outplayed us yeah yeah and, uh, so it, it wasn't embarrassing but that was certainly um a, a meaningful sure. match and after i got over the pain of the the loss it actually turned in it was turned into a catalyst of playing at a higher level than i've ever played after that so um, it turned out good. Yeah, sounds like it. Do, do you like to watch tennis on TV? I, I know you said you were watching your, your previous, some of the matches. Do, yeah. do, you, do you enjoy watching, like, you know, we've got tennis on behind us. Do you like watching the... the I do. Yeah. Like watching I do. All- I, I watch both for entertainment and to learn, absolutely. Right. Who's I'm, your- I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a fan and a student yeah. and a coach, yeah. Yeah. So you're still, still to this day, still out there all this time. Yeah, he's, 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 you're a lifer. Love it. Yeah, you're, I'm total lifer. Total lifer. Who, who's yeah. your favorite? Who's your favorite player? We already know uh, Rafa or Nikki. It, Nikki K. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Andy I love, Murray. Maybe I Andy Thomas Murray. Mooster. I love Becker. Um, I love Thelander. Uh-huh. Um, you know, love, love Rafa. What about a- Andy Murray? Um, I, I do. I, it's just, it's just frustrating, you know, to watch him. Like when he won that Olympics and that Wimbledon, it was like so apparent to see that, you know, sometimes it takes a higher power to get somebody to behave, to get somebody to stay focused mm. all the way through. Um, you know, he was playing on his home soil, and it just. And then when he won that Olympics, it gave him the confidence. But then he like kind of went right back to his old ways and it was just so temporary um and, i mean and it's uh, like but i love his game i mean i love that that grit and, and the speed and the grinding and the countering I, of course i love it and i'd love love nothing more than to see him behave like nadal and, and win a bunch more slams um i mean yeah it's great coach thanks for that very honest and accurate uh assessment of my my character i uh you you can tell from my voice i'm very uh inspired by your by your words you you didn't get invited to the pool party though we'll bring murray still writing the guest list i like it man it's uh we're always growing and learning and uh let's let's let murray in the party all right, a couple more questions. What, what sport would you have played if it wasn't for tennis? Would it be soccer? Did you like tennis? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I wanted to be a pro growing up, and when I went over at twelve and got to play in Norway and Scotland and Germany, and then at fourteen again, yeah, that's I was had soccer on on the brain. So it was really interesting to have like a whole new second sports career from that fourteen year on. But I but I love that I got to do both. I had the team sport, the individual sport, and uh, I feel like it prevented the, the onset of possible burnout in that I did start tennis. 